This episode of the Black Arts Legacies podcast is sponsored by Meta. We leave you a thirst for education and scholarship. We leave you a mandate to encourage others to explore their creativity. We leave you a commitment for documentation, critical analysis, and preservation. The late James and Janie Washington wrote these passages I'm reading. In life, James was a self-taught artist and sculptor who'd been showing his art in Seattle since he moved here in the 1940s with Janie, who was a nurse. Both were very active in the arts community, their church community, and organizations like the Masons and Eastern Star. And back in 1997, they established the James and Janie Washington Foundation. Those imperatives I read at the top are written into the bylaws that guide the foundation. I found all nine of them in a pamphlet Reverend Laverne Hall, the foundation's executive director, gave me when I went to the Dr. James and Janie Washington Cultural Center, which is the couple's old house. We actually have a campus in that on this property, we've got the artist home, Mm -hmm. we have the artist studio, Mm -hmm. we have his garden, uh, and um, And the library. And, and, And the library downstairs. And since 1992, the whole property has been a Seattle historic landmark nestled in one of those pockets of the Central District full of much newer houses and construction projects, 1816 26th Avenue. From the outside, it seems just like a regular old house, but inside, it's meticulously preserved. He and his wife saved every little bitty piece of paper that you could think of. Everything they saved, big pieces, little pieces, artwork. Uh, scribblings on paper, because he wanted the house, the gardens, uh, and the studio to become a museum so that people could come and see how he and his wife lived. Before serving as executive director of the Washington Foundation, Reverend Hall was caretaker for both James and Janie Washington in their later ailing years and executor of their estates after they died. Anne had known them for years before that. So she's kind of an expert. And so I did not ask him if I could be uh, a board of the Washington Foundation. He selected the people that he wanted on that board. By the time both James and Janie died in 2000, three years after establishing the Washington Foundation, they left a clear vision for their Seattle legacy through it. Beyond preserving their lives in a museum, they also wanted to invest in future artists. That was one of their imperatives, was that... uh, uh, this be used as a site where artists could come in and not only be inspired, but also uh, share what it is they're doing uh, and inspire others. Uh, just a place to encourage one to look within themselves and go beyond the book, so to speak, mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, pull out what it is Dr. Washington says God has given to you. Uh, to share. So um, that's uh, kind of exciting to know that two people uh, in their age bracket during that particular time uh, had the uh, hindsight, the insight, and the foresight to do something of this magnitude with their life and legacy. 
I'm Brooklyn, and this is the Black Arts Legacies Podcast, a show from Crosscut exploring the history and ongoing impact of Black art and artists in Seattle. This season is all about the spaces, homes, and halls Black Seattle has built to foster Black community and creativity. Essentially, the soil that nurtures the seeds of legacy past and the flowers of legacy present and future. This episode on the James and Janie Cultural Center is a little different from the other places we're going this season. The Cultural Center is the only home we're exploring this time around. But at the same time, it's so much more than just an old house, library, garden, and studio. It's James and Janie Washington's living legacy. Keep listening and I'll show you. The Washington Foundation was not on my original list of possible places to focus on for this podcast. This episode began as one about Mount Zion Baptist Church. The church has a deep history in the Central District, and even artists who weren't ever members feel connected to it as a community church. James Washington, one of the artists profiled for the larger Black Arts Legacies project, was a member for over 50 years. It didn't make the final cut, but it did lead me to making this episode. I was talking to Reverend Hall about James and his lifelong relationship with the church when she mentioned the Washington Foundation and invited me to visit. You'll have to you'll have to come to the Washington House whenever you uh, have time to do so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I will come. You know, just come and spend some time there, and you can get a feel for uh, for both James and Janie being there in the house because the house still has their furniture in it, for instance, still has their dishes. It's museum quality. This is what they wanted. And so uh, you will get a, 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 a spiritual feeling for the Washingtons, just sitting there in the living room where he would sit and have conversation on the same couch that he would sit on. Okay. So on Tuesday morning, I visited, and Reverend Hall and I talked again in the same bedroom James and Janie once used, full of James and Janie's furniture, their bed, dresser, filing cabinet, and desk. Reverend Hall sat on their bed while I sat in their desk chair. Generally, I'm pretty opposed to getting into deceased people's stuff. It kind of feels like a violation to me, but this was different. It felt so lively and inviting. That bedroom, for example, is part of the foundation's artist-in-residency program. Artists have the option to stay in there, and many have. Oh my goodness, I cannot name all of the artists who came and served as, as artists in residence. Then there's the living room. I walked into it that Tuesday expecting just Reverend Hall, but there was quite a bit of activity happening. Now I'm imagining even when they were alive, it was kind of as busy out there as it is right now. Right, yeah, yeah, it was. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah, they were very sociable. In that living room, I met Marty and Larry, two board members assessing some of Janie Washington's collection, also Christina, an artist and former foundation artist in residence who headed downstairs to continue cataloging photo negatives. And Monette Hearn, the president of the James and Janie Washington Foundation Board. I explained this project to her on the couch Reverend Hall mentioned earlier, and she was eager to show me the whole campus. As I've said, there was a whole lot going on in the living room. People, sculptures, mementos of James and Janie's. But there's one thing that I want to point out on our way out. On the mantle, as Monette told me later in the tour, is Young Boy of Athens. But it's after 1955 that he then is able to sculpture his first sculpture piece out of rock, which becomes the boy of Athens. And I will show you that piece. Oh, yeah, he's up there, isn't he? Yes. 
Just by stepping into the living room, we're already seeing James Washington's story unfold. And on the way out, we'll get to participate in it. But first, there's much more to see beyond the living room. Let's take a tour. So they moved here in 45, 1945. Wow. And um, initially what brought Dr. Washington out here was an opportunity to transfer from Camp Robinson in Arkansas mm -hmm. out here to uh, Burlington hmm. Shipyard. So that's where he was at. And um, he continued doing his artwork um, alongside while he was working because he still had to maintain. Yeah. And Mrs. Washington, she was a nurse for over 30 years and worked at the uh, VA hospital. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So let me take you downstairs. Downstairs is the library and boxes on top of boxes of stuff. As Reverend Hall said earlier, the Washingtons saved everything with the intention of their home becoming a museum. Is this, this is, this is just a box of his ties? Yes, yeah, so we still have some of his personal belongings. Huh. Yeah. Including the photo negatives Christina Reed is working with. So are the photos mostly of artwork and not of James um, and Janie? There's both. This, okay. this mo is mostly, primarily his artwork. Okay. His sculptures. And then there's some others that are, there'll be the house and garden. And then there's um, another one over here, has to do with travel. Oh. And um, it's, let's put here. It's a treasure chest. Yes, it is. Oh, whoa, they just go on and on. Yes, and they're in boxes as well. So, so this is with, um, I just happened to pull out Martin Luther King. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, yes. Then there's the library. Between what's on the shelves and what's in boxes waiting to be cataloged, James and Janie had over 3,000 books. And I guarantee you that for the most part, he probably read every single one of these in some capacity or referred to it in some capacity just because of his knowledge. Um, he was an innovative thinker. And um, as you'll see, some of the different subjects that are in here with his personal book collections, some of them are actually first edition. Whoa. And they go from every subject that you could think of. So they were very, very broad uh, in terms of what they read. It, they weren't limited. And that has to go the same with Mrs. Washington as well. Yeah. There's even this one, The Black West, uh, with uh, William Lorraine Katz. This is a pretty old book. They don't wow. have these in print anymore. This one here is uh, time, footprint of time and analysis of our government. Um, and this is a lot, like people can borrow books from here? Well, you can't borrow books, but you can make an appointment to mm -hmm. come here if you were doing some type of research yeah. where you could come and um, access the books here. Okay. Yeah. Some books, though, are very, very fragile, like these in the case here. Oh, yeah, those Because they're so <laughs> very old that um, we just don't want to handle them. On the way outside to James' studio, we passed through where he originally worked. So when Dr. Washington um, was able to establish himself in artistry and do it on a full-time basis, mm -hmm. um, he was working down in the area that I just brought you from. That was the area that he was doing his artwork. Oh, okay. Until he was able to um, acquire 
an architect to design his own studio. The studio James built in 1965 is not attached to the house. We got there by walking through the garden and down more stairs to a door with a beautiful leaf-shaped handle. From that, I can tell James had a vision for his studio. It started with the architect he chose. Okay. And William and Bain weren't necessarily the people that, um, they weren't African-Americans, but they were willing to work with Dr. Washington because he really wanted nothing but the very best. Mm -hmm. And he knew exactly what he wanted. Mm -hmm. So we have the blueprints, which start from the beginning of the process to the ending of the process of what he was actually approving of before any structure was built for this studio. In the studio, there are more books. A cement replica of the big bronze statue of James Washington that stands at 24th and Union, and Janie's piano. For now, it'll go back into the living room eventually. And that's just on the loft that overlooks James' workspace downstairs. He had this window put in, especially designed so that when he was cutting and sculpturing the pieces, um, it would lessen the chance of the debris coming in his eye. Oh. Yeah, so. Smart. Yes. <laughs> and um, this is one of the spaces where he worked. Whoa. This is like uh, kind of the remnants of one of the art and residencies that we had that had did an exhibit. So we, when we have artists in residency, they have the ability to have access to the studio so that they can come here and work on their work. Artists like Esther Irvin, Esther and I talked before I went to the Washington Foundation, and she's been involved almost since the beginning. Close to the turn of the century, I guess it was not long after Mr. Washington died. She's been on the board, an interim treasurer, an artist in residence, the director for four years, and in 2020, a virtual artist in residence. Her first residency in 2009 was two months double the standard residency length at the time. What did being an artist in residence, like what did that entail? You spend as much time as you're able to um, creating work on the premises. And I looked around for things that I could um, potentially incorporate uh, into my artwork uh, to make a series of pieces there. Do you want me to elaborate on like what I found and what came out of it or? Yeah, I do. But also I just, I didn't realize. So the program, you, it involves working in James Washington's house on art. Wow. Yeah, in his studio. That's me first figuring out that the artist in residency program involved living in James and Janie's house and working in his studio. Still kind of mind blown about it. Yeah, and he's, yeah, this, we're in the same studio that he worked in, you know, with his tools, with artifacts that he collected, um, and with his picture, blessing your every move, because it, it's right there in the studio. It was, yeah, it was quite an experience to, um, you know, get into spaces where things were stored and look for things, and it was quite enjoyable. Esther works in metal, so the house had plenty for her to work with. I found some um, copper pipes. Also, um, someone from down the street brought over an old clock and uh, left it in the carport. And I found in a crawl space 
some Edison recording machines that recorded on wax cylinders. I pulled out a recording machine and scrounged around and found some unrecorded wax cylinders. So with the pipes, um, I made sort of a, a freestanding assemblage of, you know, like what would a pipe look like if it was trying to be something else? And then um, I took the wax cylinders and made recordings in colored thread on the wax cylinder based on different areas of the grounds. That was what I did there. And then I did a little piece afterwards that um, I felt inspired to do that related to the residency. And that was um, an altered book. Was it one of the books in the library? Uh, no, I didn't alter one of the books in the library because <laughs> that would have been forbidden. <laughs> Back to the tour, though. There's a giant crane in the studio in front of the big doors that James used to transport the huge piece of stone he worked with. And there was actually still a huge stone in the crane when Esther was in leadership. There's a uh, crane lift in, in there so that you can like raise really heavy things up and down. But at the time we were there, there was a large rectangular sheet of granite there that was um, like about... <clears throat> seven feet tall that was on a platform through agreements and stuff. The uh, Northwest stone carvers were able to um, take that away and um, use it in one of their um, things. And so many tools. Um, we still have um, his original tools. Wow. And the artists in residence are allowed to use these, yes, right? absolutely. Wow, and there's so many. Yes. This is... <laughs> there are... And these are different kinds of chisels. I didn't know there were this many kinds of Me chisels. Neither. I'm telling you, there are just a lot of chisels. Um, these are pretty heavy old pieces, you know, um, that he used himself when he was doing his sculpturing. So, wow. Yeah, pretty big, pretty big deals, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, and Esther told me about that, the image of James Washington that like blesses you as you work. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So that's basically the studio. Real quick before we head to the garden though, the studio is where I learned a little bit more about why Monette is so heavily involved with the foundation. I truly believe like I never met Dr. Washington, but I feel like he speaks every time I come to this campus mm. because I feel like I'm here for a purpose and a reason um, to help with this process to make sure that the Dr. James W. Washington Jr. and Mrs. Janie Regella Washington Foundation stays and thrives and can become a self-efficient entity mm. for generations to come. Out in the garden are two major projects the foundation wants to restore. So that's a greenhouse that at some point in time we'd like to restore. I actually found a picture of Mrs. Washington who was growing sugarcane. And that's just one small section of the landscape. On the other side. So this was originally the, a Japanese garden. Oh, wow. And so we are working on having that restored as well. And um, 
Dr. Washington had actually gone to landscaping school. Really? To be certified through uh, the Landscape Institute. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, wait, when was that? Did he... um, I'll have to show you. We actually have the papers out and I can show you. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's another really cool thing about this. Anything, any question I have, you're like, oh yeah, we have a document about that somewhere. <laughs> and yes, right in the living room are James' projects from a landscaping correspondence course. And on the way there, I also spotted boxes of newspapers and magazines James and Janie kept, along with a box from when James worked on shoes. He truly, he just did everything. <laughs> he did. He's very talented in many, many ways. The tour ended right back on the living room couch where I continued my conversation with Reverend Hall about the Washington Foundation's past and future. Stay tuned for more. META is proud to be the title sponsor for the Black Arts Legacies Project. META builds technologies that help billions of people around the world connect, find communities, and grow businesses. With apps like Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, and WhatsApp, they're able to give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. To learn more, go to META.com. Support for the Black Arts Legacies podcast comes from BECU, a member-owned credit union that puts people over profit. For over 85 years, BECU has offered financial services and support to the community. Members have access to local financial centers, over 30,000 ATMs through the co-op network, and online resources. Learn more at BECU.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Reverend Hall doesn't just know the Washingtons well. She's also a keeper of institutional memory. So my conversation with her focused a lot on how the foundation and its outreach efforts got to where they are now. So was the house like immediately opened after they no. passed away? Oh, okay. No, no, okay. no, because there was a lot of cleaning that had to be done. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so it wasn't opened immediately. Cleaning. And then, as you've heard, the ongoing process of restoring such an old property. The crane Esther Irvin mentioned was only the beginning. Esther told me about beams and supports being walled in, adding an east-facing window to the studio, a new garage door, moving from oil heating to a heat pump. Then there was the addition of a banister on the stairs, the installation of cabinets, and a multi-day studio painting party. It's been a lot of grants and volunteer hours to get the house to where it is now. Yeah, I just wish that wish that I had gotten more money so I could have done more. <laughs> Now's about the time in the show where I tell you that just because a place is old, we can't just dismiss it as a relic of the past. The James and Janie Washington Cultural Center is no different. James wasn't the last person to create art here. Art happens all the time through the Artists in Residency program. That was after the foundation was established okay. that we had the artist in residence. And the artist in residence program actually uh, did not start until, I think it was under the leadership of Tim Detwilder, who was the executive director. That was back in the mid 2000s. Since then, Reverend Hall has expanded the program. And we actually started about three years ago uh, expanding the artist in residence to include writers in residence. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Right, yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, just before uh, COVID, we had 
two writers, well, and actually, I think it must have been 2019 or 2020. One of those writers was writing his family history, and the other was an herbalist. Then COVID led to a virtual artist-in-residency program, which included Esther and Christina, who we met downstairs cataloging photo negatives. Before COVID, there was also the Back Porch series, for women, by women, and about women. <laughs> but that was Heather Marie's show. And Heather came and spent a month here at the house, too, hmm. between the two writers in residence. And so she is, uh, Heather uh, does needlework, very fine needlework. Hmm. And so her work was centered around white women and white supremacy and their responsibility uh, for the part that they played in white supremacy. Huh. And so as a part of her residency, she did uh, some uh, workshops and we had uh, women to come in and have conversations relative to white supremacy huh. uh, with Heather. And Esther told me about another program she did under director Pamela Phillips. So yeah, I became one of the instructors that um, went to different schools and did workshops um, that engaged uh, me and I think a couple of other artists as instructors in um, various um, sort of private academies. Um. All of that is really just me trying to say that the James and Janie Washington Cultural Center is much more than a house museum. No matter where you go in here, in the house, uh, in the gardens and um, out uh, to the studio, you, you can just feel their spirit and just be inspired. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, what? Uh, what can I do? I know that I can do something, you know. Yeah. It's almost like he's there saying, yes, you do have gifts and talents and, you know, explore what you have inside of you. The Washington Foundation is also a legacy that is still growing under the care of Monet, Reverend Hall, and many others. It is up for nomination as a National Historic Landmark and was very recently accepted into the Historic Artists' Homes and Studios. It's almost like having a good housekeeper seal of approval, yeah. right? So we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're in the process now of mounting a one in a million people or dollars campaign. Mm -hmm. We're looking towards being self-sufficient and uh, self-sustaining. And there are plans for a time capsule on campus? and to do programming at Midtown Square, the new apartment complex and retail space that shares the block with the big bronze statue of James that I mentioned earlier at 24th and Union. And <laughs> Reverend Hall asked if I could help them make a James Washington app. I have a history degree, so I'm not sure how helpful I can be. So if anyone out there is inspired to take up that project, let me know and I will put you in touch. And it all goes back to the hindsight, insight, and foresight of James and Janie. They planned out a legacy of remembrance but also sowed seeds that are still blooming as people like Monette and Reverend Hall continue to tend them. Maybe you're all through sometime. Well, just, you know, come on back anytime you, you want to. Okay. The door is always open. Okay. Because when they were here, the door was open for visitors. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's still, it's still the same hospitality. 
And don't forget to take a stone. I said earlier that we could participate in James' story unfolding, and this is it. Part of visiting the Washington Foundation is taking a stone from one of the bowls on the living room coffee table. James carved Young Boy of Athens and started his journey as a sculptor because in Mexico, he found a stone that he had to turn into art. Each visitor shares in that moment of inspiration by taking a stone themselves under the gaze of that first piece. While the legacy continues on, I do have to wrap up this episode of the Black Arts Legacies podcast. This episode was reported and produced by Brooklyn Jamerson Flowers, that me, with additional reporting by Jasmine Mahmood and Kemi Adeyemi. The story editors are Sarah Bernard and Mark Bumgarden, also the executive producer, with audio support from Jonah Cohen. You can subscribe to Black Arts Legacies wherever you listen. If you like the show, please review us. It really helps other people find us. For more on Black Arts Legacies and other CrossCut podcasts, go to crosscut.com podcasts. For more on the Black Arts Legacies project, including profiles on Esther Irvin, James Washington, and many more, plus photos and videos, go to blackartslegacies.com. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. And if you'd like to support the work we do at CrossCut, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to on-demand programming from KCTS9, Seattle's PBS station. I'll catch y'all next episode at the next museum. Bye, y'all.